will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary. Uh huh. What's your favorite scary? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And this week, I'm joined again by Leslie, the host of her own podcast, the Leslie Monday podcast, which you can find on YouTube and on Podbean and on her website. We've linked her stuff in the past. We'll probably have it linked in this episode as well. Uh, Welcome, Leslie. How's it going? Thank you for having me. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, doing doing fairly well in these times, you know. It's it's kind of crazy out there, so hopefully we can provide some escapism for some people and uh, kind of get their minds off the, the grander scheme of things. I know you and I both have been trying our best uh, to take some time for ourselves and, and escape uh, by either doing podcasts or watching stuff or reading stuff, so... Um, this week we are going to be covering the first two episodes of WandaVision and we'll probably either do them in groups of two or, or one per week, just depending on how your schedule is. Cause you're running yeah. your own show and, uh, whatever works best. And, um, also probably just considering how everyone else receives the, um, the show, not, not our show, but the show itself. Cause I know uh, one division has kind of created a divide amongst uh, Marvel fans, and that's probably something we'll we'll get into into here in a little bit. Um, but how are We're things dividing ourselves by crazy lines? Yes, um, yes, and I think also unreasonable expectations uh, <laughs> in, in in some manners, not in all. I think that there, uh, from what I've seen online from people. There have been some valid criticisms, and then I think that there have been some kind of ridiculous uh, stances that have been made against the show just because they don't like certain aspects of the show. Um, but before we get into that, I do want to ask you, how how is it 
doing your own podcast? What do you, what do you think? You having fun? Oh, it's good. I'm having fun. I still kind of feel like I'm just talking to myself in the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll make sure like uh, a little more interaction with other people, but um, I do enjoy it, and I. I do kind of like this format better than the the typical like reaction channel format mm-hmm. just because I like the opportunity to think about things and and kind of put my thoughts together and maybe watch an episode once or twice and I don't feel like it's interesting to watch me watch a show because I'm just like staring intently at the screen. <laughs> yeah, when it and comes I to feel reactions. Like if I was doing a reaction, I'd have to be basically performative. To be like, oh, look at that, and right. ooh, this, and and it's not like genuine to who I am. Yes, that's that's what I was gonna say. It's like you have to kind of, you almost have to watch the show first to know what's coming, and then to do it again for recording for people, so that then you can actually make commentary. Now, I don't say that like as um, trailer reactions, because I think trailer reactions are ones where like you clearly can like watch it kind of the first time uh, and as you're watching it like comment and go oh my gosh like i didn't expect that or "Ooh, this is what they're doing here and then if you Mm -hmm. miss something you can easily in a two-minute trailer run it back and go okay like that's what i missed uh or even re-watch it again after you do your initial reaction but when it comes to like television episodes you know it's it's a little bit harder when you've got like a 40 minute and sometimes even an hour show to just do a full reaction without you know, having pre-watched it and then watch it again, which then your reactions are probably not, you're having to recreate those reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I know I've listened to a few episodes. Uh, you know, I, I told you, I think I haven't listened to your second episode on the expanse uh, season five review because you, you've mentioned spoilers. I know you're, you're good at like we try to do here on the show, like not spoil too much for everybody. But I, I, uh, as I'm also trying to read the books and you've sped through the books, uh, (laughs) it's like, I've taken a little bit step back and be like, okay, I will listen to those after I, maybe after I finish the season or, uh, maybe once I get past those books, but I'm still on like book three. So I've got a ways to go. Oh no. Um, yeah, I think the spoiler I mentioned is for like book seven. Oh yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely don't want that. Uh, well, who knows? You probably might've mentioned some of it in passing conversation, but, uh, as long as it's, (laughs) As long as it's not too uh, plot, were you know plot no, spoilerly. It, no, it's because they are still thinking about wrapping up with season six. Mm-hmm. So when I see things that I know came out of book seven or eight, or I think nine is on its way, then I'm kind of like, oh, look at that. And I don't know if they're putting it there because they hope that they could continue at some point, or if they're just putting it there just for like you know geeks like me to be like, look at that. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> could very, I, I, that could very well be. I mean, I've known. Uh, just even rewatching some shows where like they 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 put these little Easter eggs in there or these like little plot points that they intend to reference on. And one of the shows I can think of this uh, the most and that also had so many different impacts on reasons why storylines and plot lines didn't play out was the show Lost. Like, um, you know, Michelle Rodriguez's character in season two, I think was supposed to have a bigger impact as, as well as Libby, uh, who was played by Cynthia Watros, like those two characters who get introduced in season two, they, when, if you're not familiar with the format of lost, uh, they do basically character best backstories 
through uh, flashbacks throughout the episodes focused on the particular character that that episode is focusing on. And like they do, especially with the character of Libby, like they do this huge, like OMG moment in a Hurley flashback that's linked to Libby in her past before the Island. And yet both the actress, uh, Cynthia Watros and Michelle Rodriguez both got themselves in some hot water with uh, either legal issues or just um, PR issues that they ended up hastily writing those characters off like before the season uh, season two ended. So you had these two characters that get introduced and you think that they're going to have a greater impact overall in the grand narrative that it's like, no, no, because we had these things happen. We had to do this and write this out. And I think the same thing happened with the character of Michael because they similar things happened with him. And uh, so it, it is kind of like writers trying to make sure that they can put the things in there that they want to put in there, but then they don't know how a particular actor is going to be. And kind of in the case of the expanse, whatever Cass Anvar is going through right now um, and what impact like a person's actions outside of the show is going to have as an issue with the show and it moving forward. Yeah, but I think they were already planning on wrapping up season six, like I said, because there's a really plot relevant time jump. Yes. And I don't know. I don't know how they would handle that within the universes they've already given it to us and have it make sense. Right. Because it's it's not just like, oh, 10 years later and here they are and we pick back up like it is very relevant to what everything that comes next after it. And I just don't know because they've tried to be so. Um, like physics accurate, like accurate science, of course, obviously like aliens and whatever, but right. still they're, they're trying to be a little more accurate in what they've given us. And I don't know how they could do that time jump and have it make sense without them just like constantly putting the characters in old person makeup or CGIing it or just doing a, an entire recast of the people entirely. Right. Right. To be able to continue. And then, so I, I don't know, I'm kind of hopeful that it's like a pause and then maybe in like 20 years, I'll come back <laughs> and some of the actors will still be around and they will have aged into the roles so, <laughs> and then we can come back to it. So pull like a Doctor Who where, you know, you take like 20 years off and then you come back and relaunch <laughs> almost a whole new series. Um, yeah, basically. <laughs> well, I, I, I will say you, you're putting out great content. I've really enjoyed your sidebar uh, YouTube videos. And so I highly recommend anybody who enjoys this podcast and enjoys Leslie here on the podcast, definitely go out and check check her out. Subscribe, you know, to her YouTube, subscribe to her on uh, Podbean. I know you have your own website, LALunsford.com, that hosts all your stuff. And you uh, yep. will be actually helping us after the show today to kind of develop, uh, start getting the works into our own website. So, yeah, so um, we can kind of do a network. Yes, <laughs> yes, which is the grand plan. We want to have the grand <laughs> Critics Not Cynics podcasting, YouTubing, whatever network. Uh, which I is feel a, like we should have a, a grand plan, like um, what's his name in Home Alone with the crayons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll have, a, we'll have a blueprint made up. Uh, yeah. And, and if Pat were here right now to record with us we would make a um a mall rats reference to blueprints but uh sadly he couldn't join us for this week but with that said uh we are actually not talking about the expanse as we said we're going to talk about <laughs> wandavision um and the two episode premiere now wandavision 
we've been waiting and we've been waiting and we've been waiting. And unfortunately, I think it was supposed to come out last October, but due to COVID, they had to kind of push it. And uh, I think that led to kind of part of the reason why they did the two episode premiere Um, that, and I think for other reasons as well, uh, which we'll talk about when we talk about the first episode. Um, so it, we're not going to play the trailer, uh, on here because I think almost everyone and their grandfather has seen the trailer or at least is where somewhat to some extent, especially if you have Disney plus, uh, what WandaVision is, um, about or kind of getting the ideas of it. So we're just going to jump right into the uh, first episode and talk about it. And the premise of the first episode is Wanda and Vision struggle to conceal their powers during dinner with Vision's boss and his wife. Um, one of the really cool things I, I did like with how this episode started out was the traditional Marvel Studios thing. And then it was, you know, every image started going to, you know, black and white as it was mm-hmm. popping up. And then it did the traditional formatting uh, of how TV shows used to be formatted for basically like a 20 inch television back in the fifties yeah. and sixties. Uh, so I thought that that was a kind of really cool touch to put on it and having kind of a traditional Dick Van Dyke show opening, um, with not so much vision tripping over the chair, but walking through <laughs> the chair. Uh, so there, I think that that's kind of what they wanted to do with this episode. You and I were talking about this, uh, pre-recording, um, that kind of like, this cuteness kind of nostalgia throwback to fifties television and kind of having these nice little nods to shows like Dick Van Dyke show. Um, but I don't think, I think people our age and older can appreciate that. Um, but if you're looking at kind of, uh, maybe 25 and younger are not going to necessarily pick up on those, um, Easter eggs or nods. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely think there's kind of a generational thing. Cause we're, you and I are definitely in that sort of transitional generation yeah. going from, what is it like Gen Z or, or no Gen X or yeah. whatever, like directly before it's like the boomers Gen X. And then like, we're kind of, so we're kind of that transitional generation in between where we kind of have one foot on both sides of the fence having experienced the older technology and stuff, but also the new technology as it comes up. Um, just an example of like music. I've was playing records and listening to my grandpa's eight tracks and also doing the, you know, the pencil and the cassette tape to rewind it to CDs, to MP3s. So I think that's the same with shows that we were kind of in that transitional stage where I'm watching all these old repeats with, with my grandparents. So I, I feel like maybe the younger generation may not have had that same experience because the shows that they might have been watching might be the shows that were actually current when you and I <laughs> were watching the old I Love Lucy's and Dick Van Dyke and, and things like that. So I, I do think that maybe they might have a struggle, but that's not to say everybody. You know, of course, every time you make a broad generalization, there's going to be like the one person who was raised by like Luddites or something <laughs> or who only was able to watch TV land or the repeats. But that's that's I'm talking about like the broadest brush, right? right. Uh, just one specific individual type 
um, type deal. So that, yeah, they might have a, a struggle uh, connecting with the shows if they didn't grow up experiencing them. Yeah, I I would totally agree because I remember um, you know growing up as a kid like. Uh, especially on nights that I would stay with my uh, grandma before like school and stuff. Um, like if it was a, you know, a school night, um, I went to bed in the guest room, usually with the TV on. And um, some nights I would wake up um, and there would be like reruns of MASH running or something like that. And that was even on like analog TV. That wasn't even using like the satellite or the cable. Uh, it was just like having Fox on at 12 in the morning and that was what was playing on reruns. And, and then, you know, you didn't have streaming services like Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu where you could actively like seek out shows to watch that you've never experienced before. So you would kind of just catch what was on. And, you know, maybe if you're like you said, sitting with your grandparent watching a show like they're watching a Dick Van Dyke on TV land uh, because that was a show that they grew up on. And so um I think that maybe this first episode or just this general concept is maybe a way in for like an older generation that's like, oh, look at this. And they're, you know, doing these nice little nods to shows that, you know, you grew up with as kids. Um, but I, I I think it just isn't effective enough for people younger than us that that grew up with Netflix being kind of the dominant streaming platform or the real access to entertainment. And since like cable and satellite are quickly dying right now to the streaming services, it's very feasible to see how a younger audience wouldn't have the patience or the understanding. Cause not, not to get political or anything like I'm, I'm waiting for someone at Buzzfeed or someone somewhere to write an article about how these first two episodes of one division are somehow wanting to get back to that horrible past that we, that we went through in our history that like, we're just trying to um, glorify this grand old age or this grand old time where, you know, people of color weren't necessarily accepted it. Or if you're of the LGBTQ community, like you weren't, you know, allowed to be out there in the open. Like I, I, I don't think that that's going to happen, but it seems to happen with almost every show or form of entertainment nowadays. And it's not to say like that maybe as the series progresses, that maybe more progressive things enter into the show. But I'm just it's it was a thought I had as I was watching the episode. And um, I, I could just really see like a, a tr- politically charged younger audience having issues with this kind of throwback to what many might consider the golden era, not saying that I consider it that way, but our, like our grandparents would have considered that because that was when they were in their, their teens or their twenties. And when everything was easier for them, like we reminisce about wanting to go back to the eighties or to the nineties, because that's when everything was easy for us. We were kids and we didn't have adult things to worry about, like holding down a job, paying taxes and, uh, what's going on in the grand political scheme of things. Like we, we just didn't have as much worry or concern. Um, and it's not to say like in episode two, you do have a, a two kind of fairly prominent black characters introduced. Now it might not fit historically within like the actual time period of real world, but it's not like they're not trying their best to, uh, you know, juggle that around, especially with what we think the grander storyline is going to be for, 
the show. Um, one of the issues I kind of had with this, um, and it's a, it's one I can like kind of leave behind or get past. Uh, and you and I talked about it briefly. Was episode length. Um, now I wouldn't necessarily have wanted this particular episode to be 45 minutes to an hour long um, because I could only, and I think that that's why the style of a Dick Van Dyke show was probably about 30 minutes runtime when it originally aired is it was just, a, it was cheesy enough to sustain the 30 minutes um, of doing the old style television, but I wouldn't necessarily have been able to sit through an hour sustained of doing that. Um, but I, I felt like, um, that Wanda and Vision like really did a good job. Um, Elizabeth Olsen and, and Paul Bettany were doing great to like kind of relive that that uh, that time and that era of television and being very fun with their characters and a little bit more loose. Like these two people who were, you know, have these powers and yet they're trying to fit in within the old style community and like all the normal people out there. Um but then there's that underlying layer of mystery that I think I would agree with you had they not released this as a two episode um, premiere. I don't know if it would have necessarily had me jumping at the bit to watch episode two. Um, yeah, because that was it, my main problem with it. Right. Because there's just like it, it focuses too much on the cheesy, hokey old style television without really feeding you enough um Tidbits. I think one thing you and I talked about uh, prior to recording was if they had maybe done something where um, Wanda was maybe um, morning vision and then like goes to bed and then wakes up in this, you know, television world or, or realm or whatever it is. And without even remembering exactly that you know, she had this prior life outside of it and then vision being there, then that might be bring enough mystery for people to be like, well, wait a minute, how is he back? Like, I think without having a scene like that, it leads to like a little like question of, okay, well, wait a minute, how did this happen? How did this get started? And I think obviously it'll be revealed later on, probably about midway through the show. Um, it's certainly, we got more hints in episode two than we did in episode one. But you have those underlying questions of like vision actually who can't forget anything is not remembering things and doesn't know exactly what he's doing at his job. And the people even working there don't necessarily know what their job is. Um, And like them not remembering the heart on the calendar, if that's supposed to be their anniversary or this dinner date. And honestly, I don't think it was either because it's. In the episode, it's kind of revealed that it's the heart, you know, his boss's um, husband and wife, like that they're that they were coming over for dinner. And I think it was easily, easily reasonable for her to think it was her anniversary. Um, But like that there's I think there's something else to that that might get revealed later on. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe it was the heart thing um, with them coming to dinner. But also, I kind of like that little kooky humor um, while like she's trying to use her powers to cook the dinner and uh, you know Vision's then trying to distract uh, Deborah Jo Rupp's character from opening up like the sliders and everything Um, and then you really don't get kind of a punch of mystery until you're at that dinner scene and Mr. Hart is choking on 
whatever it was he was choking on. Um, but even that scene, it's breaking a little bit of this reality that they find themselves in, but it's not doing enough. Like you have yeah. De- Deborah Joe going like, stop it. Stop it. But like, you know, having the fake pain smile on, but being serious with the words she's saying. But we in a grander context, in a grander scale, we don't know what that means. And I, yeah, with, with that scene in particular, I was kind of thinking of like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a little bit mm-hmm. when Coulson is, you know, in Tahiti you know, undergoing that procedure. And and when you get that scene you see it from the the manipulated perspective and then you get to see it from what's actually happening and it all kind of lines up. And I kind of thought that they were going to have like a, you know, like a static, like, and like break a little bit and for us to see something else taking place and then go right back. And I think that might've been a little better. Yes. I would agree with like grabbing you and pulling in the mystery. Yes. uh, I think that would have been better than just kind of almost breaking that imaginary fourth wall for them. Um, it, it just something else was like a, needed a little bit more because as soon as he saves Mr. Hart, it's back to the kooky comedy and the lobster uh, door knocker. So, you know, it was it was something that I think even though it had a little um, um, oh, what um, what am I weight to it? Uh, it didn't have enough to for an audience to be like, okay, I'm really intrigued in what's going on. Like, I, I need to know what this means because it doesn't seem to play out in the grand scale. Uh, but I will say one of the highlights of this episode and so far of the first two episodes that I've really enjoyed is Catherine Hahn's character, um, the Agnes, the next door neighbor. Although mm-hmm. I will say, and it's not so much her. But I think the writers were hitting too much on the husband jokes with her. But I think her delivery of them and her character and her characteristics were one of the things I think I enjoyed the most about the episode. Because she really did kind of play that 50s-style housewife and the kind of the one I'm thinking of is more like honeymooners uh, type character who's just like... Oh, yeah, but my husband just doesn't know how to, you know, push those darn buttons. And, well, maybe I wish he was the one that was, you know, taking a few pounds or whatever. So, yeah, like uh, Lucy, like Ethel and Fred. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, but I I really I did really appreciate um, her presence on the screen and her kind of um, rapport and chemistry with uh, Elizabeth Olsen. I, I thought it was very very powerful and very well done and that they played off if each other really well. Um, and I will say one thing my brother kind of picked up and I, I can't tell you this for sure. Cause I can't remember the last time I watched the Dick Van Dyke show, but I think he even said that the interior of the house was, was pretty much like set up the same way or had the same props or sets. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it looks pretty much how I remembered. Right. And, and again, I haven't watched it in a long time either, but it, like if you just showed me that picture and said, what classic TV is this from? I would have guessed Dick Van Dyke. Show. Right. And I mean, it, it wasn't enough that the, they did the whole kind of chair thing too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I other than that, like I, I don't have anything else to kind of say about episode one, although that, you know, I guess I should have prefaced this, but obviously spoilers. I'll make sure it's in the description and everything. But um, the final scene of kind of now exiting the television, get now definitely taking us out of what we've been watching um, 
we obviously get references to sword, uh, and we don't know who it is that's taking kind of the notes down or that's been watching this. But that was, I think, supposed to be the real hook of the episode. But like you said, uh, even prior to recording, and I think you've said it so far, it wasn't enough. Like yeah, that alone. when I watched the episode, I felt like this is good. I didn't. I mean, I didn't come into it expecting it to be a full blown movie. Mm-hmm. But and and I I don't know. I was just kind of expecting it to be. It's interesting, like, when I watched the first episode of Mandalorian, I immediately needed more, and it was right. really interesting to me. Like, in other shows where you, you watch the first episode and, and you want more, I watched this episode, and I'm like, well, that was cute, but, you know, I'd, I'd okay. You, you know, just sort of not great, not terrible, just kind of ho-hum. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a, a, a take it or leave it. And like I said, if they hadn't released the second episode immediately with it, I don't know if by next Friday I would have, uh, or at least the Friday of the week that we're releasing the episode, I would have been eager to jump right into episode two. I might have been able to, I might have been more like, eh, I'll wait till like three Fridays from now and then I'll just go through the next yeah, like batch it. of ep- episodes, uh, especially if they're running at about a 30 minute runtime. Um, that's not completely unmanageable. And I think. And this is a commentary on on Disney Plus overall. I think they really need to sit down and determine what type of episode lengths they want certain shows to have. I I, I can understand having maybe one or two variable um, episode lengths a season. Like, um, you know, we're kind of used to it. We're kind of conditioned to it on Netflix where – you might watch like three episodes in a row and they're 50 minute episodes. And then the next episode might be 39 or 40 minutes, or it might be an hour and 20 minutes. Um, but they, but they do it for a kind of a particular reason. And Mandalorian has been the one that I I think they did a better job of it. This, uh, current season, season two, than they did in season one. But I really think that they need to sit down and go, okay, for the Marvel cinematic shows, we're going to set a defined 30 minutes for each episode. So then audience members can at least go in and know kind of prior to watching it that, okay, I'm getting a 30 minute episode. I can fit that in on my lunch or I can fit that in right before work, or I can watch six of these, uh, you know, in a night because they're only 30 minutes a piece. Um, well, I think that would also help the writing and yes. directing and, and all that side as well to know that, OK, this is the format and it's OK if you go a little bit over. But this is like our our minimum standard, right. basically. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm fine because, like, honestly, there's too much long content out there, long form content. I, I think that uh, networks kind of perfected it at about the 45 minute length. I think that that's an ample uh, like that's ample amount of time. And, and uh, I think because that gives you kind of almost a three act show in a sense, or at least you can have your your A plot and your B plot and maybe a C plot that kind of plays into the overall uh, season as the season continues. Um, but having this kind of Wild West approach that, yeah, this episode is going to be 40 minutes and then the next episode is going to be 25 and then the next episode is going to be 30 and then the next one's going to be 50. And it, it doesn't allow the viewer to come become comfortable with 
what they're watching because it's not like they can immediately know, all right, I'm in for a 40 minute episode uh, each week. You know, it's it's how they can fit it into their own schedules. Um, So I really think that that needs to be a bigger conversation that Disney has with itself and going, okay, like you said, you know, you've got 30 minutes you have to meet and maybe five minutes of extraneous stuff like you 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 can kind of go to the 35 minute mark if you need to um and that's where i think that that maybe 42 to 45 minutes because i've been watching a lot of old television shows whether it be you know older star trek or um in fact currently watching hercules uh the legendary journeys right now and those are about 44 minutes an episode uh that 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 feels kind of right um And then if you're going with an hour and 10 minute episode, like it needs to justify that hour and 10 minute runtime. It just can't just be we're going to throw everything from the pot in there and then you're overwhelmed by by the end of it, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is kind of now as we're going to move into episode two. um, This is where although I said that the I think the 30 minutes was fine for that first episode because I could only deal with kind of that hokiness for that time. I will say that they should have maybe edited episodes one and two together. And I think we had this conversation about episodes two and three of um, Mandalorian season two, where you felt like they could have easily edited those two episodes together and give you one good episode versus one mediocre episode and a really good episode. Yeah. And that's pretty much what happened here. Exactly. And and I think, I think they could have taken that like at the dinner party, just, just my, where I think they could have put it was at the dinner party, maybe when Mr. Hart is choking and maybe the, the reality kind of flicks out for a bit, you know, and then they kind of switch into bewitched maybe, you know, for her somehow have, have fixed it you know, depending on what all's going on here. And, and then it kind of switches into the next reality sort of, which is the bewitched format that we get in, in this episode. Right. That could have been a spot they could have done it, but that's just, you know, one suggestion. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, and I, I will say like, I don't know if we, if we did that, we get that bewitched opening. Cause I really did kind of enjoy that animated style opening yeah. in the style of bewitched. But I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, obviously the first episode is a reference to one or not to one division. Of course is one division, but it's Dick Van Dyke show. And then episode two is more bewitched and uh, fitting within the style stylistic cho- uh, choices of bewitched. And um, so the premise of this one is in an effort to fit in, Wanda and Vision perform a magic act in their community talent show. And this is kind of right where the mystery picks up a little bit more. We're introduced to uh, some more characters. We're given some more, um, not background, but speculation into what's happening. And and in reference to um, when she and Dottie are at the pool kind of planning the, the talent show, uh, we hear the radio. Um, and what, Oh, before we get on any further on this, um, we need to talk about the significance of the commercial in, uh, Oh yeah. I was wondering when you were going to bring that up. (laughs) Totally slipped my mind. Um, because there, the, the commercial of course is a commercial for a toaster and it's a Stark and, uh, industries toaster. And you hear kind of the sound of the arc reactor when they push the button. 
And you get a feeling that it's counting down to something and it's taking too long because you get kind of the the pained, again, fake smile as they're waiting for the toast. And then you actually get one bit of color and that's from the middle light. And uh, again, like I can't tell you what the significance of this is, but I feel like it's got something to do with the grander story. Um, yeah, definitely. And then the Strucker watch and then Strucker watch in episode two, like that one, obviously that's kind of something to reference her creation and where she came from because of Baron Strucker, who I think that they wasted in the MCU. Um, That that had a character with so much potential. And what would be great is if um, they could bring Thomas Kretschmann back for this somehow. Um, Because when we get to after, I think, talking about this episode, we're going to go into speculation about kind of what is actually happening. Um, But yeah, so now we've mentioned that, that that commercial that completely slipped my mind and we've already <laughs> talked about the the Strucker watch commercial from episode 2 we get the uh the radio message uh where someone is trying to communicate with Wanda and they're going Wanda who did this to you who did this to you and so our assumption is something is being done to Wanda at least from what we can tell but then it kind of flips the script on us not to jump around too much but when we get to the end of the episode we see she has some form of control over what's happening um but i think some of the fun characteristics about this episode are the talent show in of itself i I really liked kind of this idea because you know vision is a robot so he can't really be drunk but the piece of gum and gumming up the works gives him kind of the drunk persona. And I really love that kind of comedy that they came up with for this episode. Um, it felt, it just, it felt really fun, but then there's also something connect. I, I felt it was connected because as soon as the gum happens, Wanda has some type of reaction. And I don't know if it was, specifically related to that or related to something else. Do you have any speculation on that? Um, I don't know because I, I feel like she has a little more control over what's going on there, but maybe not total. Mm -hmm. And so that as they try and whoever this, they is that are trying to contact her, that they could try and maybe manipulate things a little bit, because I'm kind of thinking in like a star Trek mindset, Mm -hmm. like when somebody's trapped on the holodeck, they might not have total control over the story and it has to play out, but they can edit little things. So maybe that was an edit of like, here, have the stick of gum and make sure you pat him on the back and it'll gum up the works. And that can kind of maybe shock Wanda a little bit. I feel like the idea is they need to shock Wanda out of this somehow. Right. And, to figure out what's going on. Um, that that could very well be. I, I didn't even think of it in that kind of context, but that that would make sense. Um, and some other things that kind of really add to the mystery is Wanda asking particular characters who they are and those characters can't remember. Yeah. So that leads to my idea that these people who are kind of the ancillary or auxiliary characters in the show are actually real people. Like they're, they're people out from the real world as well that are somehow – without any knowledge of their own or any uh, participation are now trapped in this reality. Uh, and they have no idea who they are or how they got there. And when that's, um, 
it with uh I'm gonna get her name wrong. Tainoa or Tana? I, I <laughs> Paris who Geraldine who plays Geraldine um yeah. and minor spoilers but you could look on an IMDb she is Monica Rambeau the daughter of Maria from Captain Marvel so it's really interesting if you go in there kind of knowing that about who that actress is or who she's supposed to be it's like well wait so what how like how did she get there how does she find herself in this situation so I think that this is really the episode that is the real hook. Uh, and I think that that's why we kind of got it. You and I both speculated about this. That's why we got two. I prior to having watched the episodes, I was thinking it was okay. You know, we've been in lockdown. A lot of people have been wanting this. So they felt generous enough. And then I also, again, prior to watching, saw they were episode two is a little bit longer. I think it's about 37 minutes, uh, but they were about 30 minutes a piece. I was like, Oh, it's because they're shorter content and shorter, you know, episodes uh, that maybe they just felt like, okay, people can consume these two episodes and we still have seven episodes left in this season uh, to be able to spread it out to when um, Falcon and Winter Soldier premieres. So um, I am very curious also, again, like talking about the end of this episode um, and the beekeeper. And who this beekeeper is um, and why she has such a visceral reaction so much so that we see that she, in a funny way, kind of rewinds the reality back to the nice touching moment she had with Vision when she is suddenly pregos um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, asking if this is real and Vision telling her yes. Um, and then we get the cool kind of transition to color. Um, starting with Vision's face and then the setting kind of all coming to color uh, and then ending with her and kind of that's how the episode ends. Um, I thought that that was a kind of really cool way and it also tells me that, okay, they weren't planning on, you know, three-fourths of the season being in black and white. Like they're they're already kind of amping up the story that I feel like episode three is going to impact it and move the plot further uh and it does have me go okay next friday immediately i gotta watch episode three because i need to know what's happening um so any other thoughts that you have on this episode um no not really i i think um um paul bettany and elizabeth olsen are a really great team and i think they acted really well together they're both really great actors and i just i really like that dynamic and i'm excited to get to see more of them together I, I agree. Um, and I think one of the best things, even though it's not really ever explained, one of the best things they could have done was get her to drop the Sokovian accent because it didn't quite work in Age of Ultron. Um, and uh, the the fact that they finally kind of removed it by the time we get to Infinity War is like, OK, it's it doesn't hamper. I think if she were doing the show with that accent, it would really hamper Um Although it doesn't quite make sense, like in episode one, when he's introducing her to the hearts and saying, oh, she's Sokovian and European, and yet she sounds American like the next person. Um, You know, it's I think it was probably a very smart move for them to do. And not that she's not a talented actress. It's just the accent, I think, was too difficult to try to pull off for her. Um, So I'm just kind of glad that they they got rid of it all together and combined I think if this were, again, if this were one episode, I don't think people would have 
as I saw a comment online, and whether they truly did this or didn't do this, they shut it off after two minutes in the first episode. And that's that's disingenuous. That's not giving it a shot. I could understand if you watch the full first episode or even 15 minutes of the first episode and you're just like, nah, this isn't for me, that you've at least gotten an ample amount of the story and the plot and it just wasn't working. And maybe you'll come back and revisit it. But if you watch two minutes of it, that's basically just the opening. Like that's that's not enough for you to even know what's going on or see what the characters are doing. So um, I, I, I don't think you can provide an accurate criticism. And I think that also this has become one of the most divisive uh, Marvel projects now. And I don't. And it's mainly, I think, for its pacing uh, and people not understanding this is different than a movie. You know, it's not you have two hours or two and a half hours. And so you're going to have minor uh, sections of exposition. And then that's going to be interspersed with set pieces. This is a show. It's got nine episodes. They have a certain amount of budget. And so they've got to learn to pace it out, spread it out and use that budget accordingly and wisely um i think that that's one of the reasons why the cw shows like although their quality has certainly dropped in storylines i think uh in their later seasons one of the things that they were able to do well was to take that 45 minute format and spread out certain sections of the story and use the budget accordingly um and that's what people have to understand now is that this is what Marvel's doing they're trying to kind of replicate that but do it smartly with still having a good budget but not as good as an Avengers Endgame budget so they've got to use those special effects sparingly and accordingly um and I I think that also Marvel might need to look at kind of what the CW shows did uh and see how they can perfect certain things that they did on those shows to then make them stronger for their own MCU shows. Because uh, honestly, and I think you and I have had this discussion in the past, I see television or at least streaming service shows being the kind of new wave of the superhero genre. Um, yeah, pretty much. Because you can have nine episodes to tell a grander story and a more well fleshed out and developed story. Whereas in a movie format, uh, and we're finding this out, like, although we're going to get a, I think a really cool justice league Snyder cut in March. Um, the studios didn't think an audience could sit through a four hour movie, which uh, I would say gone with the wind, Lord kind of, of the Rings, Lord of the Rings <laughs> gone with the wind. Like I think you can, with the right audiences and the right, you know, performance and standards and, you know, making sure everything's done right. But I really do feel the new wave of telling kind of these grander, uh, mar- like I think secret invasion is on their docket. And I think one of the best ways for them to tell that is through a episodic format versus a movie format. Um, because yeah, I, well, if I could just cut in yeah, a little no, bit, yeah, go ahead. I think that um, a big criticism of MCU is that it's it's the Marvel format for the movies, mm-hmm. and maybe that's it's true, but it also it works. 
But like you said, when you can do this episodic format, you can maybe get some of those more ancillary, deeper details that maybe you as a pure comic fan wanted but and didn't get. Right. But it's because it's the format. They don't have time to be able to do that, especially when they're trying to get, you know, the cast the widest net possible to get the most audience possible. Whereas with it's a streaming show, you know, they do have those nine episodes to do that. And maybe they can give you a little more of that depth you were looking for. Exactly. Because uh, one of the, I think one of the criticisms uh, of the the MCU setting up kind of the the Wanda vision relationship was, OK, you have him introduced in in Age of Ultron um, and then you have them starting to develop a relationship in Civil War. And then they're in a full, like, full-time relationship in, in uh, Infinity War. So when it comes to the sacrifice scene, although, like, a comic book fan is going to know that deeper relationship and lore from the comics, a normal person who doesn't read the comics but is a fan of the movies is going to be like, wait a minute, they've only been together, like, three times. Like, how could they have this strong connection? And I think that that's... What one division is kind of trying to show us is that relationship and uh, the fun interplay that these two actors can have with each other. Because I honestly, I think that their casting of Bettany as Vision and their casting of Olsen as Wanda it is probably one of the best chemistry relationships that they've been able to set up. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, like you said, they really play well off of each other. They do kind of tug at the heartstrings. Um, so if we had m- maybe kind of developed a, a series in between, like, say, Age of Ultron and Civil War, uh, or not even Civil War, Civil War and Infinity War, that explored them, them kind of coming to that relationship, then maybe the sacrifice at the end of Infinity War holds more weight to it. Um, so, and, and I think like it, uh, like you said, it allows to tell these grander stories, but also to show more nuance. Um, and one of the best things I think, cause I think that the, uh, Feige has, um, kind of hinted toward the, this, that the Netflix heroes might finally be making introductions in the future projects. The huge rumor being Charlie Cox is involved in Spider-Man three, but, they're taking Spider-Man three in a direction. I want to see it, but I don't know how Charlie Cox is going to play into that as daredevil. If they're going to be telling a spider verse story. So, um, but if you do these television shows, you do Falcon and winter soldier, you do Loki, uh, she Hulk, even though I might not agree with she Hulk being a comedy, it should be more of a law drama. Um, and then Ms. Marvel, you know, introducing Kamala Khan, Um, who I will, there are comic book people who really dislike her character and don't think that she has a lot to offer, uh, who might in political leanings, I might agree with, uh, but I completely disagree with them on their stance of that character. Like I picked up that Ms. Marvel book when she was first introduced and I fell in love with Kamala Khan and she was this quirky science girl. So like, I'm really excited to see her project and it does allow them to introduce these newer characters that might headline their own movie later down in the road. So I think like, yeah, it, it gives them the ability to do that without having to worry about, is this going to make us back the billion dollars we spent making it? Exactly. And they don't have to waste time on telling an origin story first for a movie. 
which I know was kind of what they like. Doctor Strange was kind of their last origin story movie because even when we get to Black Panther, um, you know, we had Black Panther kind of established and given us an idea of who he was in Civil War. So they didn't need to worry about putting in backstory about, you know, T'Chaka or uh, T'Challa at all, you know, in their relationship as father and son. Um, and like with Spider-Man, we didn't need to sit through a third movie of him getting bit by a spider <laughs> to become, you know, Spider-Man. They just, okay, yeah, this is, you know, something happened in Civil War, you know, prior to Civil War. And then when we get Spider-Man Homecoming, oh, yeah, I was bit by a spider. And then it's like, okay, we, we did it. Like, we didn't need to see Uncle Ben die again. Um, we just know, well, actually, they haven't even addressed Uncle Ben. And my stance is that um, Tony actually represents this iteration of Spider-Man's Uncle Ben with the sacrifice and everything and him feeling like he wasn't able to do enough to save him and to strive to be a greater hero because of Tony uh, Tony's uh, sacrifice. Um, okay, so I think that that's the future of it. I think you and I both are kind of in agreement, and people might disagree with that sentiment, but I, I really do think that that's the way because... Again, criticize the CW verse, uh, the Arrowverse, as much as you want. I will agree that these later seasons of the shows have not been as great as the early seasons, like when they started with Arrow and when Flash first started off. Um, but they were able to do a fairly decent crisis on the Infinite Earths. I mean, that's something that I would have never thought I would even see a movie version of. And I think it actually ended up giving Warner Brothers more courage to do something like Flashpoint um, because they saw the the acceptance of this of the multiverse and these different iterations of the same heroes. And I talked about this in our DC fandom episode. One of the greatest things I heard from Walter Hamada was talking about, okay, maybe we can start letting Batman be on television and it be a different actor. Because people can tell the difference that this is so-and-so's Batman uh, in this Earth, and then this is Ben Affleck's Batman on this Earth, and then it's Robert Pattinson's Batman on this Earth. Like, people can kind of then separate how those characters act and interact in their own worlds. And then it gives us this great thing of seeing Michael Keaton's Batman come back for his grand kind of finale that he never got. Um, Yeah, do you think think I just had a thought that... mm -hmm. I feel like it'll be great for the audience and great for the studios and everything and making money. But I feel like maybe the actors will kind of have grudges against each other. Like, oh, they like Adam West Batman better than mine or, you know, maybe like little kind of ego matches. Well, I think as long as you're not, you know, doing like 20 different (laughs) Batmans, uh, which is Batman is the crutch that they rely on too much, um, I will say. But like I, I just seeing Kevin Conroy come on screen and play a live action version of Bruce Wayne, even though I didn't get to see him in the way I would have loved to have seen him in live action. He he is the voice of Batman for me. And so like, it was just kind of really cool to have this where he's kind of acknowledged, you know, even though he is acknowledged and he's widely accepted as the voice of Batman to see him now kind of become the person in live action was really cool. And I think like as much as it may cause certain grudges or it might even cause certain divisions and fan bases, I think everyone would be kind of like 
awestruck if they saw Christian Bale's Batman like meet Ben Affleck's Batman or even have his Batman meet Michael Keaton's Batman. Um, because yeah. like, I will – as much as I will say Kevin Conroy is my voice of Batman, Michael Keaton is my Batman. Like I watched Batman 89 – over and over and over as a kid and i mean even though i can sit through the val kilmer one and i can sit sit kind of through the george clooney one uh nothing will ever top michael keaton's batman and i i like christian bale's batman and i think that uh ben affleck's batman is the probably the more most comics accurate on live screen batman mm-hmm. nothing will ever kind of d- take out Michael Keaton as, as the top tier Batman. Oh, uh, um, you know who my Batman is. <laughs> do I? Yeah. I love Adam. Oh West. yeah, that's right. I Adam love West. The campy. I love it. I know it's cheesy and campy and hilarious and I love it. <laughs> oh, I, I will never say anything negative about the Adam West Batman. I, well, I, I just, I, that's like, if I could pick a Batman universe, <laughs> that's where I would want to live. Well, I want to go. Meanwhile, at the stately home of Bruce Wayne. <laughs> might I recommend then if you haven't seen them, the two animated Batman movies that they did with Adam West and Burt Ward reprising yes. their roles. They were fantastic, especially having Shatner do the voice for Harvey Dent Two-Face in their sequel. Uh, because I believe that was who they had in mind for, um, and, and Harlan Ellison was the one who wrote the script because I even have the uh, the comic book adaptation of his screenplay for that episode. Um, that was who they had in mind to play Harvey Dent back then. They just never could get it to work. Um, so yeah, and, and that's the other thing too is I think like, and this is a problem amongst fan bases, and I know we're kind of diverging a little bit off the topic here, so we'll bring it we'll bring it back around with our speculation of what one division is telling as a grander story. Um, that uh, you you should be able to acknowledge those other portrayals. And okay, maybe Adam West's portrayal wasn't the right portrayal for me, but don't don't knock off the impact that it had, you know, mm-hmm. like as much as people might want to criticize Batman V Superman and making it maybe an ultra violent Batman, uh, that Batman is very much an adaptation of the Frank, Frank Miller Batman. And, you know, when you have the understanding that he's essentially the dark Knight returns Batman, then you can kind of understand why he's taking this more grim stance, but it doesn't mean that, his contribution, Affleck's contribution, is any less or any more than Adam West's contribution because they're symbols of their times and they're symbols of particular eras. Much like, again, to bring it all around, hey, I'm good, WandaVision <laughs> celebrating the kind of era, the 50s era. And my speculation kind of being that when Wanda was a child, um, you know, that this was like the television show she may have been exposed to being in an Eastern European style country that doesn't get, you know, the new shows as soon as they air, like they're getting the old reruns that we don't watch anymore. And that might lean to why she's escaping into these realities. Um, So I think it's as much as people are kind of, I think there are a few people or a growing amount of people who are kind of burnt out on the, the movie side of things of superheroes, I think that the, the doing it, the television show style is a way to maybe reinvigorate 
or at least make it into a way where it's more consumable for people who don't then have to sit and watch 22 movies to get the grand scale and the grand narrative. Uh, they can mm-hmm. you know sit down and watch a couple episodes here and there wherever they can fit them in and still feel up to date with what's going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, so now our speculation of what's what's actually happening, who who is doing this, uh, who's involved. I believe, and I know it's been a lot widely speculated, so this isn't like some grand reveal. Um, but I, I do believe they are adapting House of M. And I don't know if you're familiar with that storyline. Are you? I'm. It, it's well, like I'm. I've heard of it and mm-hmm. I've heard about it. But then once I knew they were kind of doing this, I didn't want to go back and refresh my memory because I wanted to kind of stay, you know, clean slate about it. So I would kind of agree with you. I think that's what they're doing. But I definitely feel like this is going to somehow be uh, just like knowing Feige and how he plans with the shows. I feel like this is the like the beginnings of Secret Invasion. Well, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say it's the beginnings of Secret Invasion, especially with the although with the rumors of Chris Evans potentially, even though I think he came out and denied it, potentially returning back as Captain America. Um, they didn't really kind of say whether it'd be old Steve Rogers or a young Steve Rogers, but I think even I, uh, you know, when we were speculating who was going to die in Endgame. I think uh-huh. I even even told you my thoughts on how they could tie it to Secret Evasion. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but, you know, House of M was, I, I think, one of the best alternate kind of storylines that Marvel has ever told. In the sense of it's not so much it's a outside of their main continuity, but it was Scarlet Witch and her manipulation of reality. And... Um, it didn't deal with anything on the alien level. So that's where I don't know. But knowing that um, S.W.O.R.D. is involved in this, it would make sense that that has to play some part into it, or at least it can introduce yeah, the idea. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm not necessarily thinking that the main plot of this whole show is going to be that. Mm-hmm. But I think because he's he likes to drop things in and then kind of pick them back up, you know, like right. Colson was just kind of dropped there and we were just like, who is this guy? And then he's, you know, back through the rest of the shows and gets a whole agents of shield and this whole other thing that spins off. But I feel like it's because it's going to be sword and they're just going to kind of drop that in like here and there that that's going to be kind of like, Oh, here's this. And now when you watch this show, Oh, did you see that? That's another thing that we kind of are like, isn't that involved in the secret invasion? And then eventually we're going to get to where like, He's dropped these breadcrumbs the whole way. Right. And I, I would say um, I if, if anything that it's going to directly play into, I think it's definitely going to directly play into Doctor Strange, too. Um, yeah, I think that as far as like a main point. Would, yes. Is how it would go. Because um, so the one thing that they haven't done well with Scarlet Witch's character and powers is the fact that she is magic based. I mean, she's a magic-based mutant, and yet, you know, we haven't had mutants really introduced, and at the time that they brought Scarlet Witch and uh, Quicksilver into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they didn't own the X-Men rights yet, uh, so they couldn't be named as mutants, uh, so they had to be quote-unquote created, Um, and so they never did the full chaos magic with her. They were kind of starting to explore it a little bit, but the most that they kind of did with her was... uh, just telekinesis and manipulation. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think like this is 
us seeing her actual grand scale powers um, without her. Obviously, it's it's not without her full cognizance that she's even doing this. Uh, I think she's completely unaware. And I mean, even when she's she sees the beekeeper, uh, that's a moment where she becomes aware, but she rewinds it. So back to a moment where she she protects herself, she takes it even further. Uh, And I think that Mm -hmm. that's how these characters who don't have any memory of who they are, they just happen to be within the proximity of her creating this. Because at least in House of M, it was worldwide. It was I mean, it was the entire universe was changed by her, but it was knowingly changed by her. It wasn't, you know, something she did. So I think that they have shrunk it down to be like, okay, it's this radius of this area that she has just had this like explosion in power. And uh, now it's them thinking somebody's done this to her and they're trying to help her out. And that's where your little thing about the gum kind of makes more sense is it's trying to shock her out of it, but it, it doesn't work. And then them trying to communicate with her, via the radio. Um, and so it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Like I'm obviously, I'm not expecting a, a direct, um, adaptation of house of M much like they didn't do a direct civil war adaptation, but they did it within what they've established in the Marvel cinematic universe. So I think that they're doing a very good job with it. Uh, as long as they kind of execute it right and execute it. Well, I do think that this might be their backdoor way of introducing mutants in because i know we've got x-men kind of on the back burner getting developed and you know figured out what they're going to do with that um that this would be the way for them to introduce it now to go back to a little bit back to to your uh, secret invasion uh speculation and and this potential chris evans recasting um this would be the per- like I said back when we thought in game, you know, when we didn't know who was going to sacrifice themselves. And even though Tony was the full sacrifice, Steve obviously sacrificed some of himself as well. And my whole big theory was okay, Steve was going to die, and then to establish secret invasion, he was going to somehow be back and have no memory of how he came back. And then actually he was the secret, you know, scroll. But we have a problem with that. And this comes into a greater um, plot narrative and speculation is Captain Marvel really threw a hitch in that for me Um, (laughs) because they didn't make the scrolls the bad guys. They just made them refugees and that they were really not as evil as the Kree were making them out to be. So I don't know how you can tell Secret Invasion unless I think you were the one that had the idea of the the snap happening and half the because they're already a decimated population that they're seeking revenge uh, or at least maybe a sect of the scrolls are seeking revenge. So they'd have to do some tuning with that, in my opinion, to make that more convincing. But um, yeah. And then I thought they're probably, they might do something with like, maybe the scrolls really are on our side and it's some other sort of, like maybe that they're replacing people for a good reason that these heroes are being taken somewhere else to try and fight this other thing that's going on. 
sort of a thing, but then they don't want people to know that they're actually gone. Does well, that, that make sense? That could be because if because um, the whole kind of speculation about who the new big bad is that they'll do in the, like basically Avengers Endgame two, ten in the next ten years um, is uh, um, oh god why did Gal- I Galactus not Galactus uh, is it Crona Cronus or Crona. Um, God, they just Kang. cast, they just cast, uh, the guy, um, who, is it Kang? Kang, Kang the Conqueror. Thank you. Yeah. Kang the Conqueror, um, who is probably, and, and it makes sense with the whole time, kind of the time travel stuff because Kang is, uh, kind of the master of time and he correct, uh, corrects it when it goes astray. Um, and there's even, uh, there's even an older version of Kang that's, and I can't remember what his revised name is, but he's like the reformed version of Kang, whereas Kang's more evil based and, and wants to do things. So it's under his personal control um, that that this kind of time travel stuff that they did with Endgame will impact it. And so maybe if you're going to do a mini secret invasion in there and like what you were saying, that they were removing these heroes basically to train and prepare for their fight against Kang. So maybe, maybe that's what, what their, the grand plan is. So you can never quite figure out what Feige has, uh, has going on behind the scenes in his brain, but (laughs) he's usually good with it. I will, I will say there have been some hits or misses. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But overall, I think they do a really good job of plotting a story and kind of knowing the direction that they're going in, which has always been my big thing about the difference between the Marvel universe and the DC universe is I feel like the DC universe for me was like one-offs, but nothing ever cohesive. So I, I didn't feel the need that I need to watch all 22 of these movies. And I want to, to understand a story that's going on. It's just, I can watch Wonder Woman and now I'm done, you know, and it doesn't really relate to anything else. Yeah. That, in general. That was, um, see, that was the problem with DC and that, this was the problem with their, their former president, um, in charge of the, the studio side of things, because I think Walter Hamada, despite what's going on with Ray Fisher, and I haven't looked all into that, but honestly, at this point I was on Ray's side with, uh, him trying to get word out about, you know, some untoward stuff that was happening under Joss um, when they were doing the reshoots for, for Justice League. But then I think he took it too far and he's now attacking Walter Hamada and says, you know, he won't do anything with DC until Walter Hamada is replaced. And I, I honestly don't know what the heck is going on there right now. I, there's enough of videos on there that you can guys can go look at it on your own. I will probably catch up with it at some point, but, uh, the president beforehand was just like, okay, Avengers and Man of Steel basically came out at about the same time. And they saw how successful Avengers was. So instead of kind of laying that groundwork and using Jeff Johns to do that, because Jeff Johns could have been the Feige for the DC side of things, because he knows the characters and he knows how to plot things really well. Uh, he might be slow at some things. And I mean, switching from comics straight to then doing movies is a little bit is definitely a career change. Um, Mm -hmm. But there was no support from the execs in the in the movie side of things. They were just like, all right, we need to make a Justice League now. Like it has to be now. And so they kind of rushed it with 
uh, Batman v Superman. Although, again, I don't think Batman v Superman is a bad movie um, when you watch the the director's cut, basically the Snyder cut of that version, because everything that people were having complaints about was all addressed. But it was studios going, oh, it's too long. Uh, we don't like this. We don't like this. So you're going to cut this, cut this, cut this. So studio interference really impacted that. And then, you know, you got just or you got Wonder Woman, um, which didn't really play into the overall narrative. It was just to show you Wonder Woman's origin, essentially. And then you got Justice League and Justice League was a mess when it came to production and post-production. You had you basically had Zack Snyder fighting with the studio and then them using the excuse of the suicide of his daughter to, to get him off of there and, um, and that he wanted to make wanted to make it two parts. And then they said, no, you got to make it one part. And so he was hampered in the way he wanted to introduce characters and advance the story and then show that kind of grander scale connection that you wanted I think he was trying to do it in three movies, whereas, you know, Avengers was able to do or Marvel was able to do it within like six or seven movies. Um, So it just really comes down to I don't think anyone at the high studio exec level is going to mess with Feige because of his track record right now, whereas DC Mm -hmm. hasn't really established that track record. So when you have creatives and you have studio people they're they're just going to not really mesh together. And I think like Wonder Woman 84, which we haven't done a review for yet, and there's pretty much a reason why, um, that's when they just gave full reign to Patty Jenkins. And I think Patty Jenkins is a very talented director, but that it was a mess. It didn't know what, what it wanted to be. It didn't have a defined villain. It didn't, it, it it made no sense when you when you talk about developing kind of a planned out universe, it didn't fit in with what everything else they established because you have her saying in Justice League, well, I stepped away from mankind for over 100 years and, and lived in isolation. Now you have her in 1984 with craziness and wishes being granted <laughs> and and being out there in full color and everything, which I had no problem with like the, the colorization of her suit or anything, but it's just like, it just doesn't, doesn't fit in that overall narrative. Yeah. My only problem with the movie was really, like you said, just a lack of a defined villain. Yes. Because otherwise I'm okay with it. And it's, again, it's kind of like this first episode of WandaVision where I'm like, well, that was fun, you know, but nothing else. Well, I pretty much enjoyed it. I just didn't feel like either of the characters that were supposed to be the villains in this movie were very villainous. I felt sorry for both of them, and I kind of wanted to give both of them a big hug, but I wasn't like, oh, no, stuff's about to go down because Thanos is in the house, sort of a, like, here's the villain. Right. It was just kind of like, ho-hum. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, and I don't particularly like how they brought Steve Trevor back, and I'm not even talking about what people really have an issue with because uh, I can, you know, it's comic book movie i can kind of overlook that but it's like if everybody else was the wishes that they were asking were being like immediately granted in the way that they wanted it with then the kind of complications further down a la wishmaster style the whole idea of him inhabiting another body and then she sees him as steve but we know that like that's not who she's walking around in public with and i think it may may have worked a little bit better if 
there were evened out scenes where we would see like from a public perspective it's this guy and then when it's like kind of closer interactions it was Chris Pine but that was also just kind of part of the problem of them not knowing what they wanted to do with it and it almost would have been better for them not even to bring Steve back for this movie like there was just it it, it ultimately served no purpose and yeah well, it's, it, it's junk food movie it for me very, like yeah. it's and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with having entertainment that's like, this is a big, sweet donut. And oh, yeah, I'm just same here. eat it and enjoy it, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, I've talked enough about the Transformers movies, how they're, <laughs> they're, they are mindless, but they're, they're good movies to just turn your brain off to and just watch them and watch these grand spectacle explosions and giant robots fighting each other. But yeah, if you yeah, want to, so that's, kind of, that's exactly what Wonder Woman eighty four for me. It's just a fun thing to watch. A big, you know, like I said, like a sweet donut. Yeah, and and then that's it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think a lot of people wanted it to be much more than that, and and it just didn't wasn't able to deliver. Well, and I think like people thought it was going to have a grander impact to the overall. Like I, there was the speculation it was going to be a flashpoint you know, um, movie essentially. It was going to be a backdoor because they were having so much difficulty with getting the flash movie off the ground and, you know, fitting into Ezra Miller's, uh, schedule and, and this and that and 20 other different things that seems to keep delaying the movie and delaying the movie. Um, which I think it's actually going to work out because of the stuff that Andy Muschietti has announced about the movie. I think it's going to be really cool when we finally get it. But, you know, yeah, you have the cool thing with the armor, but the armor doesn't really play a whole big role. I didn't care for the mid-credits scene. Like, yeah, kind of cool, but I was expecting it to really set something up, and it just was like, oh, okay, I see what you did there, but okay. Like, the whole point yeah. <laughs> of the mid-credits tease is to be like, oh my gosh, this is setting up something, like, fantastic. It doesn't set up that particular character if they're just out and about, uh, or are they going to be a villain? You know, it's like it just it doesn't do anything. And overall, the story just doesn't really impact anything, which I guess that's fine. Like you said, it's something you could probably turn on and be like, all right, you know, I'm going to waste two and a half hours of my time. But, you know, I guess. Yeah, not- like if you're if you're like, I really like Gal Gadot, I want to just watch her. Or you're like, I really like Pedro Pascal. I just want to watch him, you know, or, or whoever you're going to pick. Right. It's just something to turn on. I feel like you could watch the Wonder Woman movie and then this one kind of just together and just ignore the fact that it needs to be part of anything else. Right. Because, again, it, it is a nice spectacle movie. Like, there's nothing wrong with any of the acting. I don't feel like anybody, like, was phoning it in. I think they all did a great job. I enjoyed all of it, but it was just – it was just – well, this is this, and it's not. I, I, it's just. I think the. What I want to say, like the what we've been getting in the past few years, especially over the ten years with MCU, is that sort of building upon each other, sort of a narrative. Mm-hmm. We've been getting it with movies. We've been getting it with TV shows, with all the streaming shows, and that's what everybody is. I think putting their hands out and really wanted from DC, like please give us this, and then each time they give you a movie, it. it it never hits the bullseye of of building that narrative like what they want from everything else, all the other content that they're getting. Well, see, and they they had they had the chance. They really had the chance because there was um, when they were kind of speculating about what they would do with the Justice League movie. They 
were kind of thinking about approaching Stephen Amell as reprising his role as Green Arrow for a Justice League movie. And so they even like kind of made some narrative choices on Arrow to leave themselves open if they were going to incorporate the TV universe into that. Cause like, that's kind of what we're getting now. You know, we're getting, and they were kind of trying to do it with agents of shield and agents of shield. Then agents of shield became its own thing. It really did yeah. because it was, um, Jeff Loeb's thing. And Feige doesn't really care for Jeff Loeb, nor does he really care for that's he didn't care. Let's say that. Let's say that he didn't care about the TV side, the broadcast television side of things. Now that it's a, a streaming service that can get the butt, uh, uh, probably the budget of one movie for nine episodes to string it out a- across. Then he's like, OK, then I can tell the story or I can have them tell the story. I need them to tell and make it look well on a streaming service versus broadcast television. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, DC kind of DC has been or Warner Brothers rather has been its own worst enemy. It's it's been like, a, OK, we got all these cool ideas. We own all the rights to our characters, but we can't seem to get the right people or the right idea. We just are care about the bottom dollar. And it's like, OK, I get that. And I get that you've got to meet shareholders and you've got to, you know, meet these expectations uh, from a business perspective. But the thing is, if you can't reach those that those audience members, if you can't reach those people who don't read a Batman comic or an Aquaman comic or a Flash comic, um, if you can't reach those, you can't bring those numbers in that the MCU brought in. You know, the whole thing that Feige did well was or is continuing to do fairly well is to introduce new characters uh, that, yeah, the comic book people know, but they're reaching an audience. I mean, I remember when Avengers came out and I had all my normie friends like, who is that guy at the end? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Thanos. Well, who's Thanos? Like, and then, you know, by the time they get to Endgame, like they're in, they went out and they bought comic books or, or, you know, they learned up or read up on the lore and bought more Marvel stuff or bought all the MCU movies and rewatched them a million times to capture all the Easter eggs. Um, And that's just one thing Warner Brothers just doesn't, or at least in the past, I think they might be getting on the right track. I think Flashpoint is going to be the first movie that, kind of fixes their their cinematic universe and they can go forward you know moving forward and um they're already kind of planning hbo max shows to be kind of like what they're doing with wandavision um but the problem is is they're going to be viewed as just copying marvel and copying disney oh yeah and well, it's the same thing, even with uh, like, like Dune and that movie coming out. Mm-hmm. I can just hear everybody saying derivative now. When Dune was basically the inspiration, when you rewind, it, rewind time back for Star Wars and Star Trek and a lot of other stuff because of when it was written. But right. just now being able to probably get crossing fingers a good movie, it's going to, I can just hear the critics saying derivative now in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's like, you know, uh, this is the problem I have with the people who are, are straight up MCU fanboys or even straight up DC fanboys. Like even even just going down to the minimum line, line of the comic books, not even in consideration of the movies, everyone, you know, the people that were, it's Marvel only or it's DC only. 
I never found myself in either camp. It's much like politics. Um, I'm somewhere down the middle <laughs> where I'm just like, okay, yeah, I, I, I like these Marvel characters, but I like these DC characters. And here's the thing. I don't want to just read Marvel all the time. I want to spice it up and read some, uh, some DC characters. So it's like I would rather both exist so then I can get some from each rather than one be dominant. And then I get tired of this particular brand of storyline and I have nothing else to refresh it or to kind of take a break from and view over here. And I take that stance the same with the movies is like the people who were like, Oh yeah, DC's never going to work. It's always going to be trash. Or even the DC people were like, Oh, our savior is Zack Snyder, you know, is going to be the one who's going to fix everything. It's like, really? Okay. You can enjoy both for what they are, you know? Maybe maybe the Marvel movies are a little more cookie cutter and a little bit more just kind of dumb entertainment in some sense, some senses, rather than looking at grand philosophical ideals. But then, okay, if I want that, I can go watch Batman v Superman or Man of Steel or, you know, like if I really want to get the dark and gritty, almost real world feel of how these superheroes would have an impact on their world, then I can watch the DC movies. So it's like then the Marvel movies can be what they are and I can still enjoy them for what they are. And then I can have that variety over here with the DC movies uh, even if they don't have their act together, I can still watch them and go, OK, this is what I really enjoy about this movie. And so because it's kind of funny when you think about it is you had Marvel really kind of riding on the success of Avengers and the movies they did prior. And they were kind of fitting that that formula of being a little bit lighthearted, taking things a little seriously, but being comic book bubblegum chew movie. Um, and then you had DC come out with Man of Steel or well, really starting with the Christopher Nolan series and then going into Man of Steel, kind of the darker, gritty thing. And people were really latching on to it that then they tried to do it with like Thor Dark World and it didn't work. Yeah. And the only one it kind of worked with was Winter Soldier because um, they approached it more as a political thriller than we're going to tell a dark story. Um, yeah, they knew how to, to fit the characters into the story and tell it well. Right. And then, you know, Taika Watiti kind of redeemed Thor by going back to what was so enjoyable about the first Thor movie of having kind of the bright colors and going, going the more space opera rather than this dark, gritty, brooding character that Thor really wasn't established to be in the first movie. So, you know, they, they kind of borrow from each other. They're all going to try to do similar iterations of what the other one's going to do when somebody finds something successful. But we got way off oh, topic Oh, yeah, that's there. what they all do. That's <laughs> yeah, true. We got way off topic there, but uh, hopefully that's enjoyable content for people listening. Uh, and it really does kind of span out of this divisiveness that I've seen between people who have watched the at least the first episode of WandaVision online and they're, you know, yelling at, at Marvel and yelling at Feige and it's like, well... Okay, but one, you've got to scale your expectations. This is a television show. It's not a movie. You're not getting the whole story in a two-hour sitting. You're going to have nine episodes. So if you want to view it like a movie, wait until the nine episodes are done and then binge it through and you'll be uh-huh. maybe maybe you'll be fine. Maybe you'll find out you enjoyed it more. Um, but uh, go with scores. 
Uh, I would say for the first episode, I would score it at about uh, maybe two and a half out of uh, or a three out of five. And uh, then I would score probably episode two at a three point five to a four out of five. Yeah, I would pretty much agree with that. I don't know if I feel like episode one is uh, like low enough for me to be under a three, but mm. it could be because I feel like it could be better. Right. But I'd pretty much agree with with those ratings for for each of those. Yeah. I, I would say if it, if it had been just that was the first one released and like we had to wait till next week till episode two came out, it would land more on the two point five because. Yeah, it just, it just didn't do enough. Uh, but since it is kind of paired with episode two, it, it kind of straddles that point for me. But um, yeah, episode one almost feels to me like the promotional content they yeah. could have put out in like five minute episodic pieces to be like, here comes WandaVision. Here's five minutes. Here's WandaVision. Here's the next five minutes and kind of like led up to it to like promote it. almost. A- absolutely. I, I would very much agree with that. You know, it's just something that they... I get it again. They're doing it as a television show, so it's it's a little bit different um, a format for them, and they might be just trying to get used to that, used to not telling a movie-style you know, style story with these characters. Um, my guess is we'll see improvement with uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and um, Loki. Honestly, I think Loki will probably be the one that will blow everyone out of the water. Um, I think that... That's the one because you've got Tom Hiddleston, so you only are focusing on really one main actor or one main character, and then everything else is going to have to be how it, yeah, and it's going to have to be how he interacts or how everyone else interacts with him. So it's going to be a little bit easier for them, I think, when it comes to telling a story in this format. Um, with that said, we've we've run pretty long for this episode, so <laughs> we, we better get out of here so we can start looking at some website stuff for, for the podcast. But uh, thank you again for everyone who's listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, we love your support, and we want to be dedicated to bringing you um, better content and, and more innovation. Uh, I think we have something kind of special planned for the 100th episode, uh, which is, I think, after this one, two episodes away. Um but we just got to get some things. So if we might take a little bit of a break uh, between episodes 99 and 100, it's because we're getting things together for that um, because we want to bring you bigger and better stuff. As always, we're trying to always innovate. And Leslie has been doing her stuff, and that's kind of helped us because I know I can at least go to her then for guidance and um, <laughs> you know, kind of uh, walk me uh, through some of the technological side of things as I help her on some of the other stuff whenever she asks questions. So um, if you're not following us, you can follow us on Twitter at CriticsNTCynics. Um, you can write into the podcast at CriticsNotCynics at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at CriticsNotCynics Podcast. Uh, we, I think we'll be transitioning over to a social media manager. Um, so once I kind of finalize those details down, it won't really be me necessarily tweeting um, it will be our, our, our manager who will be doing everything kind of, uh, scheduled out and, um, you know, with the approval of, of anything, um, that I want him to send out. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, 
you know, with the kind of the crazy stuff going on in the world, I personally am needing to take a little bit of a break from social media just for my own mental health and, and well-being. Um, but as always, also, you can follow the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, uh, Google Play, uh, Amazon Music, where basically wherever you can get your podcasts. And if you would be so kind to leave us a rating and review, it would be appreciated as it helps us kind of get more out there and more wide known, which also with us getting a website will also make that very uh, helpful as well. So we will talk to you guys next time.